Hello and welcome to AutoLine Detroit, coming to you from the floor of the 2010 Detroit Auto Show in Cobo Hall. I've spent a lot of time at the show going down and up every single alley looking at all the different cars here and interviewing an awful lot of executives and analysts in this business and I'd like to share some of those interviews with you today. So coming up first is automotive analyst John Casesa from Casesa Shapiro to share some of his insights as to where this business is and where it's headed. Then we're going to follow that up with one of my favorite executives in this business, Mike Jackson, the CEO of AutoNation, the biggest automotive retailer in the country. And then we'll go to Susan Doherty, the vice president of all sales and marketing at General Motors to learn how they're going to get their situation turned around in 2010. We've got a lot to talk about, so don't go away. We'll be back right after this. From the North American International Auto Show in downtown Detroit, Michigan, here now is John McElroy. Hey, joining me right now is Mike Jackson, the CEO of AutoNation, the nation's largest retailer, right? That's the biggest correct. collection of dealers in the U.S., maybe the world, too? Yeah, perhaps the universe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we got well, a very nice enterprise. Yeah. So, I mean, last year was abysmal, you know. Uh, how, do, how do you think we ended up the year? December didn't look like a half-bad month in the new reality. And uh, what do you, what's your outlook for, for this year? So, whole 2009 was an incredible nightmare. But a lot of good things came out of it. And uh, we finished the year with it pointing in the right direction. Here's an interesting insight, John. Uh, December of 2009 compared to December of 2008, traffic was down dramatically by 15%, sales at retail are up 15 to 20%. So you say, well, how can that be? What, what's changed? Well, this year we have credit. In December of 08, there was no credit. And so that's a very good sign for the future. So the, the credit panic of last year completely shut down the economy, led to dramatic unemployment, which has really hurt traffic. But at least this year we have some level of credit that the people who are coming in, a significant percentage of them, we can sell a car, which was impossible a year ago. Mm -hmm. The Detroit Three have gone through an enormous amount of restructuring. I mean, GM and Chrysler went through bankruptcy. They now claim they can break even at uh, 10 and a half million units are. But how about you guys? I mean, you've got all these retailers. You can't close down factories and you know get labor concessions from the union and all that. How, how well, have you been able to adjust to this massive drop-off in the market? It's interesting, John. When I first arrived at AutoNation in 2000, uh, I said we're going to structure the company that we can break even at a selling rate for the industry of 10 million. Now everybody looked and at me. And they said you're you're, you're, you're crazy. You never see it. And I said, well, a lot of good things can happen as a result of structuring a business for tough days. It gives you a certain discipline, and you it drives a lot of decisions, and you don't do a lot of crazy things because you're prepared for a day of reckoning. Well, lo and behold, the day of reckoning comes, and uh, of course, at that point, we were able to take our break-even point down much lower than 10 million, and so we were solidly uh, profitable through the whole turmoil. But the biggest thing that happened last year was how the auto task force, the government auto task force, restructured the industry. And uh, they didn't just build a bridge to better times, they really took out uh, cost and excess capacity. They built really a new foundation. Built a new foundation, killed this uh, bankrupt business model, I call it production push, where you just 
produce whatever's been installed in the factories uh, to cover fixed costs, which, uh, and then you use incentives in the marketplace to liquidate everything that nobody wants, which was insanity, and it led to bankruptcy. So that's dead, which um, gives me quite some optimism for the future. It'll be a gradual recovery. We'll get over 11 this year. That's still depression levels. Right, it's still bad, uh, but, but a whole lot better than it was. Better than 09. And uh, to really hit our stride, we need recovery in housing, full recovery in credit, uh, recovery in employment, and all that's 2011 stuff. But some of the forecasts I'm seeing out there show a fairly fast ramp up if those things happen. Ramp up in sales. Yeah, 20. I think I think that we have an inflection point where we where we have a sound bottom, and now we're stepping up 10 to 15 percent in uh, 2010. And uh, if everything works, 2011, you could really take a step back towards where we'll ultimately be selling 16 million cars again in the United States. Mm -hmm. So as you look out as uh, the automakers right now, who looks good in your book? Ford seems to be, you know, sweeping the show right now. They won Car and Truck of the Year. They introduced uh, the the new Focus. Uh, what's your outlook for Ford? Well, it shows you unequivocally what a difference one individual can make. Alan Mulally. Alan Mulally. I sat down with Alan Mulally on a Saturday over in Dearborn shortly after he arrived, and we discussed the horror stories of the business model production push, and he fully agreed and says, as of this day, it will end, and I start changing it tomorrow. And um, good decision after good decision for the long-term of Ford Motor Company is really paying off. They got a tremendous brand equity kick by not taking a government handout and not going into bankruptcy. Our customers come in and say, we really admire Ford for not having done that. Show me what you have. And then they have a very nice... Uh, product pipeline. Derek Kuzak, who came over from Europe, uh, has done a terrific job. And so Ford's in a, in a very good position, winning, you know, as you know this morning, car and truck of the year. Mm -hmm. So that's on the one hand. All, for, all the way on the other hand, in our, in our Chrysler showrooms, we have to deal with this animosity about the bailout and customers saying, I own you and where's my 70% discount? And it's a, it's a long journey uh, to a sale. And Can GM, Chrysler make it? I think Chrysler will make it only because of the alliance with Fiat and only because Sergio Marchionne is one of the most extraordinary executives in any business I've ever met. He will will it through this. But uh, absent that, I don't, I don't think they would make it. You don't have a lot of Chrysler stores in AutoNation, though, do you? No, we, we, we always have a, we always do an assessment and, and put a risk factor on it. So it, we only have 10 Chrysler stores today versus I had 50 some years ago, so I've sort of placed my bet, and I think they'll make it, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to bet the whole company on it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and General Motors, what do you make of what's going on there right now? Well, if you look at the fact that General Motors, uh, coming out of bankruptcy, stabilized their share around 20% while winding down four brands and dealing with all the fallout of the bankruptcy, it's, it's uh, really quite a story. Uh, definitely, uh, the pace of the company has improved dramatically. They have some real hits out there in the marketplace. Now, John, here's one of the most important things that they've done. They've stopped producing what people don't want to buy. Now, that's, that may sound like the simplest thing in the world, but in the past, they would keep running the plants even after the marketplace said, I yeah. don't want these anymore. To your point, that, uh, that whole push that model. That whole push thing is over. Now, our conversations with GM, I just came from a meeting with GM, is, okay, you got some hits here. How can you prudently uh, produce more to take advantage of this hit? 
that they have on their hands. And uh, but you got to watch it like a hawk because if it turns, you got to immediately modulate uh, production. So it's a new game for them. But I think the fact they stabilized their share and they're moving at a much faster pace, they got different kind of problems and, and, and challenges. GM is going to be a great turnaround success story. Well, joining me right now is Susan Doherty, head of, let's see if I get this right, all sales and marketing at General Motors, right? Sales, what, what? service, marketing. Sales, service, and marketing. marketing. Parts and OnStar, but we'll just say sales, service, and marketing for now. Hey, you guys didn't have half bad of a year as it ended up. I mean, 2009 was a terrible year. We never, ever, ever, none of us want to go through that again. Correct. But uh, in December, even though GM's sales were down, the core brands that you're keeping saw a sales increase. you got to be encouraged by what that shows. Yeah, you know, there were some really positive signs um, that were getting some momentum within the business. We're real happy about that. Yep, our business in total, as you mentioned, was down 6% but our retail business was actually up 7%, and all of our core brands had double-digit increases. In retail. In retail, correct. And the reason why that's important is that there's a whole bunch of things that we're trying to do in terms of we're flying the plane, we're refueling it, re-engineering it, putting some passengers in new seats, putting some passengers off the plane, bringing some new ones on. So um, there's a lot of dynamics of things that are going on that I don't think that everybody really comprehends. Um, not only are we focusing on four brands instead of eight, uh, 34 nameplates instead of 78, plus in December we saw some really encouraging signs. We actually reduced our incentive spend by over $2,500 per unit. Per unit? That's massive! It is, but you know, when you compare to December you know, of, uh, of 08... You were spending way too we much. We were spending way too much. Was, and we were over 4000 Well, something? we were trying to stimulate the market because obviously the economy was crashing and burning and we were in the midst of a global economic meltdown that few of us even knew that we were in. Um, the other thing, you know, in just terms of addressing the fundamentals in our business, one of the things that we really need to work hard on is with these four brands is earning share, not buying it. And I think what you'll see from us um, going forward is a lot more focus uh, than you've ever seen on Chevrolet, Buick, GMC, and Cadillac. And we're also going to be making sure that we work on supply and demand and the dynamics a lot more closely. Myself and members of my team watch our inventory levels like a hawk. Uh, we ended um, this calendar year uh, in December of 09 with our inventories being down 50% with about 385,000 units or a 57 day supply. I've been with the company for a couple of decades and I can't remember ever when we've been that low on day supply. So that's got to be good from a selling standpoint because if you don't have all that excess inventory, if cars sitting on lots, Correct. you don't have to blow them out the door to move them. Correct. You don't have to spend the extra incentive dollars. It helps you on the residual side in terms of protecting resale value, which is really important to many consumers. Plus, the other really, um, the other two important things that we were working on was the wind down of both Pontiac and Saturn. And you know we had committed in terms of our plan that we would have those brands down wound down by. October of 2010. We're actually 10 months ahead of schedule and we ended up with less than 700 uh, Pontiacs and 900 Saturns which will um, you know, sell out of those products probably in the next five to six weeks. So I'm really encouraged that we're going into 2010 with a really fresh start. We've got our inventory aligned. We're focused on four brands. We've wound down everything else. Our incentive spend is down. Our residuals are up. Um, our average transact prices are also up, which is a sign that consumers love our new launch products. Can you say by how much it's up? 
Um, depending on the vehicle, and I'll give you a couple examples. Thanks sure. for asking yeah, yeah, yeah. me that. Um, when we compare the old Buick LaCrosse to the new Buick LaCrosse, our average transact prices there are up about $7,500 to $8,000. That's a stunning which, statement. Which is terrific. And then on the SRX, um, it's close to $7,000. Uh, on Equinox, um, it's close to $5,000. And it, it, it just shows you that um, when we, as a company, when we go and launch really great products um, that can not just be on par with the competition, but that can exceed what the competition's doing, we can win. And you must be thrilled about the lacrosse, too, because at least on a percentage gain basis, it, it's off the charts uh, going by the December numbers. It, yeah. it just blew out of the showroom. I, I think it was a real um, unexpected surprise for everybody in the marketplace. I had a feeling that it was going to be a great car in my prior role as the Buick GMC Yeah, General you set Manager. this all up. Well, I, I, <laughs> that, that was my life, let's put it that way. And I, I spent... Um, I spent, I would say, in the last 12 months more time driving competitive products in the last 12 months than I spent driving our products. And I think as a, a lear the learning that came from that is that you begin to really understand your competitors' products to the point where you know exactly where we win and what, we, what buttons we needed to push. So, you know, the, the car was, was designed to go head-to-head -head with a Lexus ES350, which is a fabulous car. Um, but it was really time, I think, in the marketplace for there to be, you know, a, a product like Buick LaCrosse that could go up against and compete with a product like that and win. So we're excited. We're encouraged. We're not, we're not done everything yet, but we're right. encouraged. You're encouraged. Well, let's talk about some of the new vehicles that you're showing here. The, the mm -hmm. new Buick Regal. Let's stick with Regal for a moment. What do sure. you expect it to do for the brand? Um, well, first of all, um, you know, to your point about the midsize car segment where we've got the Chevy Malibu playing, now that we've taken Saturn and Pontiac out of the fold, uh, we really do need a one-two punch in midsize cars. So the 2011 Buick Regal um, will be um, a, a terrific vehicle for us. Um, you know, what we found was that um, when we take a look at the Buick lineup, um, yeah, we have a solid lineup, but in light of the fact that, um, you know, many of our dealers are going to be Buick GMC dueled, uh, we needed to fill some other areas in the portfolio. and. That product, um, I, we call it um, a product that was born in Europe and raised on the Autobahn because of its um, you know, sister relationship with the Opel Insignia, which by the way is now the best uh, selling uh, mid-sized car in all of Europe. So we're privileged uh, to be able to bring that product over here as the Buick Regal. We think it's going to do really well and it's going to continue to enable us to uh, begin and, and um, work on uh, the renaissance at Buick where we're bringing in younger, more affluent buyers into Buick. And what we found, we're even finding with the LaCrosse, a third of the people who buy a LaCrosse are brand new to General Motors and Buick, which thrills us. Joining me right now is John Casesa from Casesa Shapiro. You're an analyst, you're uh, an advisor, you're a, sure. an observer of the automotive I'm scene. I'm all three, that's right. I mean, I, I, my, as my career was as a Wall Street analyst, writing research reports, buy, sell, hold, and now we advise companies and financial investors. So what's your outlook for the automotive industry? We just went through a year that none of us ever want to go through again. How bad, how good, how in between is 2010 going well, to be? Well, I think 2010 will be a very strong bounce off the bottom. And, and what I mean by that is you know, we're scrapping about 14 million cars a year, so we can't go too long just selling 10 million. And there's still a lot of incentive activity in the market. Credit is slowly becoming more available. Uh, consumer confidence is bottom starting to turn. So I think we're going to see between 11 and 12 million 
units in 2010, and that will be very powerful for profits because as you know, John, all the companies throughout the value chain have slashed their break-even points. Nine, 10, 11 million units. So a move from 10 million sales last year to 11 or 12 this year will ha cause margins to explode. See, my fear for the industry is, I agree with you totally. I, I think this, this business is about to make more money than anybody ever believed possible. You're more bullish than I am, I yeah. think. Yeah. But in any case, if and when that happens, my fear is that management goes, hey, we're geniuses. Look, we solved this thing. And all it's going to be is a temporary, perfect alignment of the planets that'll end, my guess, sometime around 2015. And then it, it's back to normal again, but they haven't planned for it going back to normal. Well, I think the better companies won't let that happen. And you know, you wonder about Ford, which, you know, the Ford family almost lost the company. I would be very surprised if success would spoil them in just one cycle. I mean, I would think that the memory is not that short. Um, you know, there's a risk of that. And, and, and related to this is that, you know, the government bailout is softened. I mean, the alternative was horrific. Mm -hmm. But the fact is it's also softened the blow. And, and there's a little bit of a message, and I hear this from some companies that say, you know, we made it through this. They sort of forgot about the fact they wiped out all the shareholders and all the creditors. Now we're back, and, um, and, and, and that's a little bit concerning. If, if attitudes don't change. Because it's one thing to uh, get through the crisis, but you really change the way you do business, and that's what's necessary. And that's what we have yet to see, I think. We have yet to see that, I and mean, I agree I, with you. I, I think Ford has, but you know, how sustainable is it once an Alan Mulally leaves, yep. and a company is making piles of money, and they've got all the money they need in the bank, and that's when things seem to drift apart again. Well, that's right, I mean, I think, you know, Malali, part of his effectiveness is institutionalizing this process of aligning resources, responsibility, and authority, making people accountable. And if, if they do that with the way they structure the business, the way they pay people, the way they account for their performance, that'll continue after he's gone. But if he left tomorrow, I would have a question mark. If it's three years from now, it'd be different. Right. Um, you know, the other companies have a lot of work to do. I mean, they've got a lot to prove. What's your assessment of General Motors right now then? You know, bringing in a guy like Ed Whitaker from AT&T, zero automotive background whatsoever, couple of uh, private equity guys on the board right now driving a very different dynamic at yep. the company, but what's your assessment of GM? Well, I think all of that is, is extremely positive. I mean, this is a company that was out of control, without the government, would have probably liquidated. I mean, they'd actually taken the world's greatest company when Ralph Sloan retired in 1956 and destroyed it. And, and so I, I think almost by definition, change is good. I think that these new people bring a discipline uh, that is imperative. That is an understanding of the cost of capital, the responsibility to shareholders, uh, the limits of the promises you can make to other um, stakeholders. And, and so I think it's a very good thing. Now, of course, they don't know a lot about the business and it's their job to surround themselves with people that do attract, retain, and promote the best managers. And if they can do that, I think they'll be very successful. If they can't attract good people, whoever that new CEO is, or this guy, or that woman to fill those jobs, then it won't work. But See, I think it's far too early to tell. Yeah, and, and I totally agree with you that they need a lot more discipline at the managerial levels. But one of the things that I've observed in this industry over time is that Cars are very expensive to develop, and you can never stop. You always have to be spending the money. 
And uh, too often in the past, certainly, finance has said, well, you know, we're not meeting our, our return on investment or return on capital employed, so you've got to start cutting this stuff, which is the kiss of death, because you save a little bit of money developing the car, but you're having to end sure. up incentivizing sure. it, and the whole thing goes down yeah. in a spiral. In, at GM, I think what happened was when, when this company became dominated by finance, and that was re that really started in the late 60s. And by the 80s... After Sloan retired is yeah, when it started. Yeah, about really? a decade after yeah. Sloan retired. And then it, when they became dominated by finance so that it was the decision-making was so imbalanced, at GM, finance were in the show, and all the functional business uh, 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 disciplines that drive revenue, uh, manufacturing, design, engineering, marketing, those people became hired hands, second-class citizens. And, and I think if you view the business exclusively through a financial lens, that's a mistake. You see, the good, the financial outcome is just that it's an outcome of doing the other things well. And I think there's a real opportunity to rebalance the thinking. You know, there. there's a lot of wisdom in what you just said there. I mean, a lot of wisdom. Financial results are the byproduct of coming out, Ab designing, engineering, absolutely. manufacturing, selling, and servicing great cars. And, and there's a difference between cost and value and price and value. And, and the key, I think, is to measure value. That's both the financial discipline, but that's very much an operating discipline. What's mm -hmm. the benefit versus what the cost, mm -hmm. as opposed to what the cost is alone. But it, again, when you have a, a financially driven system, you use cost accounting, which is great at capturing cost, and ha there's no mechanism for capturing value. Yeah, I, I mean, that doesn't show up in the books. I, I think that's true, and I think GM is a company in my career that understood the cost line and not the revenue line. And, and even worse, and I think the reason why it, it failed is the management understood the income statement, but not the balance sheet. Capital was free to GM. The shareholders mm -hmm. were an abstraction. They could always borrow as much as they needed at the lowest rates because they had AAA credit rating. And, and so I think the discipline that Alfred Sloan had to earn a return acceptable to shareholders because he was a shareholder, that discipline disappeared with each generation removed from him. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's jump uh, horses here, so to speak. Chrysler, what's your outlook? Can they make it? What's your thinking with them tying well, up with Fiat? I, I, I think you know, the decision to save Chrysler was as much a political one as an economic one. The people at task force will tell you that. And, and I think you could have made a very good argument that Chrysler should not have been saved, but it was politically unacceptable to do that. And why do I say that? Because we saved Chrysler in 1981, mm -hmm. right? And then they were back, yeah. right? So probably we had enough evidence to know that this was not a good investment. But we've made the decision, and I think now it's an uphill battle. And the government attracted the, really the only credible partner that showed an interest, Fiat. It's an uphill battle for Fiat, but it's a great deal for Fiat, right? There's no money down. Uh, Marchioni has an option on a big business in North America if he could be successful. If he's not successful, he's probably well positioned as a buyer of you know, the assets if it gets liquidated. So in my view, a brilliant deal on the part of Marchioni and on the part of the US government, the only deal it can do. I can't handicap the odds yet. I, I guess I would say on paper, looks very difficult. These things usually don't work. Uh, in the near term, I think he's, he's sort of in a box. He really has no choice but to take Fiat product and badge him as Chrysler's, Chrysler products, badge him as Fiat's, and just do nothing more than that. What else can you do in the short term? Um, longer term, you know, he, even though the odds I think are not good, it's hard. It's risky to underestimate this CEO. Um, 
you know, they've been reasonably successful with Fiat since he got there. Fiat's not a world-class company. Th this is the only issues, reason we're paying any but, attention yeah. at all, is Marchionne right. proved he did it with Fiat. Right. So now we're waiting to see, can he yeah. do it with Chrysler? If he had not done that, none of us yeah. would have it, an that, iota right. of hope for Chrysler. Right. So they've got three years of runway, in my estimation, and um, I do think the American market will get more accepting of European-type product. But what I don't know is you know, how long it takes to build consideration for Americans to really say, I'll try that Lancia-based Chrysler. Mm -hmm. Pretty nice product, but to a lot of Americans, why take the risk when there's so many blue chip alternatives? I hope you enjoyed today's interviews coming from the floor of the 2010 Detroit Auto Show in Cobo Hall. We're going to do the same thing again next week, but with a different set of executives coming in to talk with me. Then I'll have Jim Farley from Ford, Larry Dominique from Nissan, and Ralph Gilles, the new CEO of the Dodge brand. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.